You're listening to Ants Talk. My next guest is a classical singer who trained at the Conservatorium of Music at the University of Melbourne before performing in Australia and Europe. Along her performing journey, however, she experienced some challenges with her mental health and struggled to find a practitioner who understood the specific issues prevalent in the industry. Please welcome to the show, Caitlin Howard. How are you, Caitlin? Hello. I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Good. Nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm actually really fascinated by your story because I myself was a performer when I was younger. Oh, um, really? Wow. Yeah. So I, I've, I've done singing and a bit of acting and a bit of modelling mm. in the day when I was young and pretty. Um, <laughs> and You're I really beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I really do see the prevalence in what you're talking about. Um, mm. Even just recently, uh, you know, there's so many of my friends that still work in the industry who have recently just buried friends that were also in the industry from suicide. Wow. Um, mm. So it's still very prevalent. What Absolutely. I wanted to start with though is how, um, how did you find opera? Yeah. So it's a, um, it's a fairly, um, I guess, obscure um, art form uh, these days. It's becoming less common, unfortunately, because it's a really beautiful art form. But I found it actually, um, I uh, started playing the violin when I was quite young, probably around uh, eight or nine years old, and just immediately fell in love with classical music. I just sort of had an affiliation with the style um, and just immediately took it on board. And um, when I got to high school, I started um, getting singing lessons because I had to join the school choir um, because I played an instrument. And my, uh, the the leader of the choir said, Oh, you've got quite a strong voice. Have you ever thought about getting uh, singing lessons? And not really. I sort of always enjoyed singing in the car, but hadn't really ever thought too much about it, to be honest. And then, um, yeah, it just kind of went from there really from singing in the school choir to getting singing lessons and then just, um, just really loving being on stage, loving the music. And basically from then on, there was just no other path for me that I wanted to follow. Um, And so opera kind of naturally came from getting the classical singing lessons. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. Um, Mm. I I personally love classical music also. I mean, I grew up with it when I was younger purely because I also did, you know, music and singing lessons when I was younger. And it was introduced to me in that way. And I fell in love with it immediately. Um, and then I saw a sort of operas when I was younger and mm. was just like, this is just amazing. Um, and then I even saw Jose Carreros um, live and it was mm. absolutely amazing how strong a voice could be because I was, I was in one of the back seats, you know, nosebleed seats, but I could literally feel his voice hitting me. As he's yeah, it, and there's no microphones with opera. It's no. all just the voice, um, and yeah, the strength of the voice is just incredible. It absolutely is amazing. So, um, how did you find performing when you were performing? So it was. I mean, I loved performing, and I still do perform. Um, but it's a very it's a difficult industry, as you alluded to in your introduction there are a lot of um, difficulties that come with being uh, in, a, in the creative fields and in the performing arts. So whilst I was on stage, I absolutely loved it. It was almost as though there was this freedom 
um, that you almost don't get anywhere else despite being watched by hundreds or thousands of people. Um, But there is also a lot of difficulties that come with it, the stress, the instability, not knowing sort of when your next paycheck's going to come in, Mm -hmm. the the constant... um, people constantly judging you, I guess. You have to have a very thick skin to be in the performing arts or the creative industries. And so whilst I loved it, there were also a lot of difficulties that came with being in the industry as well. Yeah. um, That's the thing I think that most people don't realise. I mean, I work as a makeup artist and have worked with celebrities for many years. And the biggest celebrities in Australia that people think are making these millions of dollars are still looking for the next paycheck. Like, it's not a constant thing. Sure, there, there are you people that are the, sort of the flavour of the month that we start to see on six or ten reality shows, and sure, they're making the money, but that soon sort of dries up very quickly. Um, and it's, it's a weird industry because someone that is so well-known, um, when work isn't sort of coming around, they can't really go and work in coals and they can't really go and work and stand in a doll queue because you're literally coming from this arena where I've been praised and idolised and, and all over TV and media, et cetera, et cetera. So you then going and seeing an adult queue doesn't really gel, we gel with the reality of life. I mean, sure, it's, it's something you've got to do sometimes and swallow your pride, but it is such a difficult thing to deal with. And I think a lot Absolutely. of people don't understand that point. And, and you all, no, people don't understand it, but also it's not something that's really taught or discussed when you're training to take mm-hmm. on this type of career. So when I was at university, you spend so many hours perfecting your craft, whatever that might be, singing, acting, dancing, um, which is absolutely necessary if you want to make it at, at the most elite level in, in the arts. Yeah. But there's there was just almost no discussion of the psychological side of of performing mm. and how to deal with those things that we've just been discussing the instability the 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 uncertainty um feeling as though you're not good enough the you know the imposter syndrome all of these things which mm. are very prevalent in the arts um but it's and the just competition not alone you know i mean there's... absolutely there's back so the day, much competition. Yeah, back in the day with even doing makeup. I mean, I was a rarity back in the day as a male doing makeup. Where these days, it's every second guy's doing makeup and there's a bazillion girls doing it. It's incredible how much my industry alone has changed. And the mm. competition is fierce. And you're, you've always got someone that's going to, that will do it for a little bit cheaper because they want the experience, you know, and it's... It's a cutthroat. Yeah. And on that, you know, people uh, who perhaps aren't involved in the arts are often offering or often asking people in the arts to perform for exposure or for not, you know, not being paid um, in in a monetary amount, which, oh, you know, you'll have great exposure if you do this event. But little do they know how many thousands of dollars and how many hours have been spent in the past perfecting that craft. It's like being a doctor or it's like being, yeah. you know, a makeup artist. And you, in your instance, you train and there is sometimes the expectation that you should give those skills for mm. little to no money. And it's, it's, it's difficult to deal with. I mean, it's funny because, I mean, even with just makeup alone, I'm, for me just to do a basic face without even charging, it costs me $65 because I'm buying all the makeup. 
And, you know, with majority of faces, you're putting on 22 products on a face. And that wow. really does that up. So mm. people need to really look at the arts a little bit differently because um, I think that too many people do exactly what you're saying. They're expecting too much out of us for free and they don't give the respect that is actually well-deserved because we really do work hard to get to what, where we go mm. with our careers. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, that's one of the main reasons why I, start, I decided to start this business that I've started because my experience, yeah, has been very um, difficult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what were the mental health struggles that you were coping with at the time? Yeah, so I experienced um, a number of different mental health um, challenges over the course of my career. So I was diagnosed with anxiety. Um, I was also diagnosed with depression as well over the course of this time and even um, sort of five to ten years ago when I was pursuing this career it was nowhere near as acceptable to talk about these things openly yeah. as it is now and it's very um, it's a difficult thing to to deal with if you don't feel as though you have a a network or a community where you can talk about these issues that you're having. Yeah, definitely. And the hard thing too is within that industry, I mean, we have to really turn it on when we're in front of people. Um, and that becomes harder and harder when you are dealing with things such as anxiety because yeah. it doesn't make it easier to walk into a room full of people and paint a smile on your face. It really makes it 10 times harder. Well, you're in the spotlight constantly. People come and see you because they want to escape their lives and they expect to be transported to a different place that might take them away from their own challenges that they might be having. But it's not um, really thought about the kind of difficulties the performer might be having. That's right. And people in the performing and creative industries tend to have a greater degree of mental health challenges than the general population anyway. Mm. Um, but that's not something that's really considered. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think too, I mean, in a way it's become sort of more focused in the last couple of years because we have had so many high profile people within the entertainment industry that have taken their own lives due to mental health issues. So I think that the public are becoming a little bit more aware of it. They're probably not aware of the prevalence of it. It's, it's, it's quite high within the industry. And I think that that's one thing that people don't really see. Well, you wouldn't expect it either because you go and you go and see a film or you go and see a performer and they come across as so together, so yeah. confident. How people, I think, who, who, don't, who haven't ever performed um, see people up on stage and think to themselves, God, I could never do that. They must be so confident. Yeah, they must exactly. be so, um, you know, present to their skills and to their value that they bring. But um, there's so much going on underneath the surface that um, the general population, but also those in the industry, I think, probably uh, um, have no idea about either. Yeah, little do they realise the terrifying moments just before having to step out on stage and open your mouth. Absolutely. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> I can speak from personal experience that it can be terrifying. Oh, and it really is. I mean, I, I auditioned for a few things when I was younger and, every time it never went away it never got any better it was absolutely terrifying every mm. time I, it never yeah. changed for me it never ever changed 
you can learn to deal with the with the um, the, the stresses yeah. of it, of the nerves, and and have um, uh, sort of skills or techniques that work for you that help you to that help to lessen the impact of the nerves or whatever it is that you're dealing with. But mm. uh, I don't think it's something that ever completely disappears. I think you just learn to cope with the um, the symptoms better. Yeah, exactly. So back then, how many practitioners did you see during that period? So I probably went and spoke to um, maybe five or six over the course of a number of years. And um, they ranged from sort of counsellors to psychologists. Um, I went and saw a psychiatrist at one point. And um, I, whilst it was helpful um, to some extent, I just felt that people didn't, the people that I spoke to didn't really understand the specific issues that I was experiencing. Yeah. So uh, whilst the symptoms um, were alleviated at different points across time, I think perhaps the core, the core reason for the, the anxiety and the depression perhaps in the first place wasn't, wasn't um, combated uh, directly. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've, I've, seek, I've sought help myself when I've gone through issues different times in my life. And it's funny, I, I really do believe in that saying that you've got to find the right person. I still didn't find mm. that right person. But I found that with so many people, whether it be a counsellor, whether it be a psychologist, a, a therapist, it, it, they just didn't get it. And I see, it seemed to me that my life was a completely different scenario to anything that they've ever experienced in their lives. I mean, the, these are people that have gone to school, had pretty normal lives, gone and got educated at university, haven't had much life experience, haven't had any street experience. And with me, I've had all of that. And it, it, it was like I just was getting nothing out of it. And it was so generic. And majority of the time, it was sort of them just getting you to talk and then giving you almost homework to read stuff about things that they wanted you to read about. And I was like, well, how is this helping me? It's not really helping mm. me at all. So a lot yeah. of the time I would just end it myself and I would never go back, you know, so I, I never really got the help I needed from anyone else. I just had to deal with it myself and heal myself, really. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that you had that experience. And I think probably a lot of people have had a similar experience. And I agree with what you said Um at the start of that which was you need to find somebody who you feel you have a connection to if you're going to speak to someone about your deepest darkest fears and and secrets you want to feel as though that person that you can relate to that person exactly. and they understand what you have been through in your life and that they can provide some guidance this is ants talk so you actually ended up identifying a gap in the psychological services available to performers and creatives and subsequently returned to study psychology. And then you've started the performer's edge to actually remedy this gap. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So um, as a result of being in the industry and and what we've what we've spoken about, having some some mental health challenges myself and not feeling as though the industry that there was anybody really in the industry who could help me with the specific issues that I was having, I decided to take this into my own hands. So I went back and studied psychology. Um, I learned a lot about mental skills training and performance psychology. 
and started the Performer's Edge, which is a performance coaching business specifically for creatives and performing artists. So I work one-on-one with people um, to help them reach their full potential. That's so cool. So just I'm going to just fill the listeners in a little bit on what you actually do do. So you actually support creatives and performers reach their full potential by overcoming their specific challenges through bespoke coaching and utilising best practice performance psychology. Whilst this type of service is commonplace in elite sports and in the corporate world, you have been working in London since in the past couple of years and this is one of the first of its kind within the art sector and your goal is to make the service customary in the industry. Is that correct? <laughs> does it sound right? <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, uh, uh, as you said, it, this type of this type of coaching and this type of performance psychology is very common in sports. So, all of the major sports mm. teams, they'll all have a psychologist working with the individuals and with the teams in order to help them overcome whatever challenges are hindering them from reaching their full potential, whether that be performance anxiety, as we spoke about earlier, whether that be lack of confidence or feeling like an imposter at the top level, motivation, concentration, there are all these different psychological challenges that people may experience in elite um, performance jobs, Mm. which, as I said earlier, we're not taught anything about at university or really within within the industry. So it is my goal to make this type of learning customary in the industry and with the people that I've been working with so far, they've really just found that it's um, an invaluable experience for them. It's funny, you know, going back to a couple of points you've just made there. So with, with Sportsman alone, I know a personal friend of mine, and she's actually been interviewed on the show, who teaches meditation. And she was taken on by one of the football teams here to go and teach the guys about meditation. Mm-hmm. And I also know when you watch uh, shows almost like... Um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And you get the sportsmen that go onto that show. And they really talk about that imposter syndrome a lot. Um, And it just goes to show how much money and time and effort is put into the background and the psychological welfare of sports people in Australia, where in Australia, we've just had the arts funding cut (laughs) this year. And that sort of stuff really infuriates me purely because we know how much the arts give back to society. It's, you know, from performing to artists to musicians. I mean, there's so many avenues. And to cut the funding is ridiculous because these are the sort of areas that could help. Yeah, and it's not even just from a financial perspective, and we know how much of a financial impact the arts have Mm. um, on the economy. You have all of these amazing artists performing across Australia. And um, I I used to work at the Arts Centre in Melbourne, which is a huge artistic um, um, area. And the amount of financial impact that has on the economy is just great. But then not even from a financial perspective, but from from a community perspective, from a... um, you know, just from an emotional perspective on on Australians, it's such an important part of our identity. And, you know, you speak to anyone and they'll have, an, uh, you know, a particular experience that they've had at a concert or at a play that's just had um, an impact on them, which they'll never forget. Yeah. And it's those kind of things that you can't measure financially, but that have such a positive impact on our community as a whole. 
I mean, it's it's gotten to a sad situation where in Australia, our our you know elite creatives have to end up leaving the country to make a success of themselves. And then once they do do that, majority of them are ripped down and pulled apart by every single Australian with tall poppy syndrome. So it's, mm. it's such a chaotic industry. It really is. And I, I think that people really need to sort of sit back and take a second look at the reality behind it. Because um, to a lot of people, I think in Australia, especially when you go onto blogs and onto Facebook and you, you see conversations and people talking about celebrities and they really do think that majority of people within the entertainment industry have got the luxury life. I mean, that's majority thinking um, where the reality is far from it in, in most cases, far from it. Absolutely. And so, I can speak uh, from, you know, sorry, I can speak from continue. the perspective of, um, you know, from opera singers and, Exactly as you said, if you, there are very few organisations in Australia where you can make a, a living as, a, as an opera singer without taking on other types of jobs, teaching or yeah. working in some other totally different area in order to fill the gaps in your finances. And so most people, uh, unfortunately, because we have some incredible talent in Australia, we most really people do. end up having to go to the UK or to Europe or to the states where the arts are better funded mm. uh, in order to, to make a living. And sometimes people will come back to Australia in their later years if they want to if they want to return home. But unfortunately, what's happening a lot of the time is that people are having to leave um, leave the country in order to make a living. Another thing too is um, it's funny. I mean, even in the modelling industry, people look at models and think, "Oh my God, they must be making so much money." I know for a fact um, that even here in Adelaide, there's been fashion parades that have gone on where the models are getting paid $25 an hour to do the parade, but they are expected to go and do, you know, training. So they're actually practice for the actual parade itself. And let's say there's three of those, which they're not getting paid for. Wow. Um, there's one, you know, some that are getting paid, you know, $100 for a photo shoot. I mean, uh, hello. We all know where how far a hundred dollars goes. Not very far at all. <laughs> not so, very um, far. I don't. I don't see them running out to buy a yacht just yet. Absolutely <laughs> not. And I think probably the people that we do see on TV, the you know the Leonardo DiCaprios of the world, and the mm. um, you know the Angelina Jolies, they're the absolute you know top point zero zero one percent of people who are earning. Um, a huge amount of money but and the industry the in the us. us is so so different to the industry here i mean there's very mm. little money here for the industry itself very little money mm. so mm. what does a typical day for you look like now well a typical day has changed quite a lot in the last year so a typical day a year ago was i was working in a management consulting job in london working full-time um working for somebody else and then now that I've started my own business, it's very varied. So um, today, for example, I'm speaking with you this morning and then I'm speaking with a client uh, in the early afternoon, um, an actor that I'm working with, and then um, a lot of my time is spent basically getting the word out there about this new service that I'm offering because, as I said, this is a type of service that's not particularly common. Yeah. Um, and so a lot, of, a lot of my time is spent just talking to people, going and have, having conversations with people in the industry and, and 
uh, explaining how important this type of work is. If we want to have a um, uh, an arts industry that uh, is able to last and that the people who are working in it are able to have long um, and sustainable careers. Yeah. I mean, I can see this definitely being utilised by almost universities and places like NIDA and stuff like that. They really mm. should be sort of taking this on board and offering you as almost like a preferred client almost that they, they could send people to that may face, face issues throughout their career. Yeah, so I am, um, fortunately, I am seeing change and I, I, from when I was studying that this type of thing is is becoming more spoken about. It's not necessarily being invested in um, yet, but I am speaking to a lot of organisations, artistic organisations about what I'm doing and people are interested. It's just a matter of changing that frame of thinking of, oh, we haven't spent money on this type of thing in the past. Why, yeah. why should we start doing it now? But um, when you are able to show the benefits of it from the people that you've been working with, then it's kind of hard to deny that this is something that has to be invested more in. Yeah. And I think, too, um, just in general, mental illness is something that's being spoken about a lot more these days. It's, it's so important. And I'm never embarrassed about it. I'm quite happily happily say to people that I'm fragile and broken sometimes. I'm quite proud of the fact that it shows me that I'm normal. Um, and I think that that's the thing is that majority of, I, I mean, I would say all of us face something throughout our lives. I, I think the people saying that it never has happened to them or will never happen to them, I think you're kidding yourself. I think through life, it may not be as to the extent of what you've seen other people deal with. It might be something very minor, but I think we all face something. And that's why this sort of stuff is so important. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think that that when they hear the word mental health, they think of mental ill health, so mental health in a negative perspective, whereas um, everybody has mental health. Um, it's on. It's very much on a spectrum, you know. And exactly. for for most of your life, you might be on the the upper end of the spectrum where you feel confident and um, fulfilled and um, present to your value. But then there might be things that happen in your life which um, which change that. A divorce or uh, being you know being made redundant from a job, which mm. then means that your place on that spectrum changes and um having someone to speak to about that is so important yeah it's not always about running around screaming at your shadow and stuff like that no <laughs> everyone's and I think these, different yeah and i think having these kind of conversations in a public space where people where we are speaking about our own challenges i think then enables other people to speak about the challenges that they might be having and the more we speak about it the more um, common it will become and the less stigma there will be associated to saying, hey, I'm actually really struggling at the moment. Can you yeah. can you give me some help? No, exactly. What advice would you offer anyone facing mental issues at the moment? I think the most important thing for me um, is just talking to somebody. It doesn't have to be a professional. Talking to a friend, talking to a family member and just saying, look, um, I'm really struggling at the moment and and I'd really appreciate some support, whatever that might look like, and just talking to someone because as soon as you talk to someone, the weight of shame or whatever it is you've been telling yourself 
about those feelings that you've been having lift. And you'll probably find that as we've discussed, that person that you speak to has had their own challenges that they're able to speak to you about. And it's in that dialogue that some of that weight is lifted um, Mm. and you can figure out what direction you want to take, whether it's just talking to your friends and family or if it is something that you think you might want some professional support with. Yeah, and I think that's the thing too. I mean, I think the majority of us would be quite happy to hear our friends talk about their feelings and try and offer them some some advice. Mm. So where can people find you? So they can find me online. So they can find me on my um, on my website, which is www.theperformersedge.world. They can also find me on Instagram. Um, I'm at, at the.performers.edge or on Facebook, which is at theperformersedge. Fantastic. And just before we sign off, I just wanted to also let people know that if you ever need to chat or anything like that in Australia, we have Lifeline, whose number is 131114. And you can also go online and Google your own local service that will be able to help you. Um, There's even services out there that you don't even have to talk to anybody. You can actually just text. So Mm. make sure you Google if you feel like you need to have a chat to somebody and ease your load. It's the best thing you can do for yourself. Also, just to let listeners know, please tune in each week. We've always got something new coming up, some amazing people, just like Caitlin herself. And also subscribe because then you will be updated with each new episode. Thank you so much for your time, Caitlin. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure that a lot of performers out there will be really interested in listening to this episode. I think it's an important thing you're doing and you should be very proud. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and um, best of luck with your upcoming episodes. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye.